Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. You will join with me in your Bibles or the Pew Bible in front of you. Our text today is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Here with me now the words of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with true heart full of the assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil, conscious and our bodies washed over with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching." My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, speak to us during this hour. Speak to us in ways that our ears cannot help but to hear what you say to us. Speak to us in ways, O Lord, that our very souls receive your words and are transformed so that we would leave this time with you, not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So in preparing for this week's sermon, what kept coming to mind, there was this image for me, this sort of sensation, if you will. It was a sensation of having, like coming out from, say, my workshop, having worked all day with a sander and having worn a mask or uh, spraying furniture top coat, or maybe it was snorkeling and swimming under the water with that, that rubber tube poking up, and then finally coming out from the workshop or up from the water, and taking the mask off and just breathing fresh, clean air. The sense that while I was breathing just fine and was able to sustain my life earlier, this idea of fresh, clean air. It just sort of filled my very body, my very being, and made me excited to be alive. If we think back to a couple years when we were all wearing masks to stay well, the first thing that we did as soon as we walked out of any building is we ripped the mask off so that we could take a deep breath of fresh, clean air. And you remember what it was like. It just felt so good. Whether it was the middle of the summer and it was 95 degrees and 100% humidity, it didn't matter. It was fresh, clean air. So I keep thinking about this idea of fresh, clean air, and it's got to tell us something about our spiritual life, doesn't it? Something about what happens when we come together and we study God's Word, when we come together and we learn something more 
about God's love for us and what we're to do with it. Last week when we gathered for worship in this space, we talked about the idea that passionate worship was our response, uh, our showing love to God for us receiving God's love through grace. This idea of practicing, practicing radical hospitality to God. So what we begin to know is that as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not enough to just receive God's grace and God's love. It's not enough to just return to that to God and show love back to God. But instead, the next step in our spiritual journey is to grow in that grace, to grow in that love. It's as if to say it's great to practice radical hospitality. It's great to practice passionate worship. But the next step for us in our journey of faith is intentional discipleship, intentional faith development. This idea of growing in grace, being closer to the person that God calls us to be. This idea of learning in community beyond just what we experience here during the sacred hour. This idea of intentional faith development, it takes place in small groups in Sunday school classes, in Bible studies, in short-term studies, even in youth group and chancel choir and support groups. Faith development happens in all of these opportunities. And what we hear in this letter of the Hebrews, especially in verses 24 and 25, how important this is for us to do, but how we're to encourage each other, how we're to be intentional about it. Hear these words, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, of some, but encouraging one another as the more you see the day approaching. I mean, those words, let us consider, let us provoke, let us not neglect, let us encourage, they all point to a very simple sense of intentionality, a very focused nature of our practice of faith. But more importantly, it encourages a ch an opportunity, a, a challenge for us to grow. So as we begin to think about intentional faith development, this idea of growing in faith, we kind of look to our lives and we look to the scriptures to get some ideas of what it really is about. So we can look at the teachings of Jesus and observe how he taught us and how he calls us to learn in similar ways. We'd actually break down what really happens in this idea of growing in grace and coming to grips with our own hesitancy to participate. But if we can get past it, practicing it nonetheless, we see the rewards that come. But we think about this when Jesus was walking the earth, with the exception of the one time that the text records that Jesus went to the temple to read from the scrolls. Most every other time that Jesus was teaching, it was always a crowd of people around him. He always used stories and parables. He always told things in ways that people could understand him, but he left the crowd and the largeness to murmur about it, to discuss it. I can imagine when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, the, the man that was going by the wayside robbed and then the priest walks past him because it's a Sabbath and the Levite walks past him because the man is unclean and finally the despised Samaritan renders aid. 
I can imagine the murmuring in the crowd trying to decide was the priest right or not for carrying on and not tending to the man? Was the Levite right or what do we make of the Samaritan, this despised person in our midst, being the only one that shows love and compassion? I can hear that murmuring in the crowd, but that's what Jesus wanted was for people to wrestle with the story, to own it for themselves. It wasn't just a checklist of things to do in order to be righteous, but to really get to the heart of the matter. So we had this lesson of of Jesus, his teaching method, and so the early church picks this up. In Acts 2, what do we read that happens in the church? They gathered for preaching and the reading of Scripture, and then afterwards they discuss the text. They have dialogue about its intent. They have dialogue about what it means and how they should live their lives in a very secular world, in a pagan world. And we fast forward a couple of centuries later and we see John Wesley who begins this Methodist movement and he begins it with this this thing called the class meeting. A chance to pull believers together who met on a regular basis every week in small groups and they started with this one question, how is it with your soul? Now friends, that's not the question of how was your week, and you get to talk about your triumphs and your tragedies at work or school or on the ball field or your favorite teams. No, how is it with your soul cuts to the quick of who we are as human beings? How are you relating to God? What are you reading in the scriptures? How is your prayer life? What are you praying for? How is God speaking to you? How are you living out your faith in the world around you? And so these groups would meet on a regular basis asking these questions for one purpose, to hold each other accountable, but to also grow in their faith. Because once they heard the gospel message of grace and love for them, the next step was to grow. And so that's what John Wesley was pushing in these class meetings. That's why intentional faith development is so important. Because the Christian life is not a solitary institution. Sure, we can do the home study program where we can read the first 15 and we can pray on our own. That just primes the pump for our relationship and our growth. But if we want to understand what the fruits of the Spirit, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, if we want to know what they're really about, we do that in community with each other. Real growth happens when we grow alongside one another. And so we know what happens is that when we begin to engage in this idea of intentional faith development in a community, we begin to see things that take place. When we set aside time and we're focused on growing together, the first thing that happens is that we get an idea of perspective. I mean, each of us comes from different walks of life. We have different histories different stories, and when we hear a particular text, we begin to wrestle with it from our perspective. But when we start to share our perspective with the others in the group, we get a more full understanding of it because we begin to look at it differently. Take the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of grace and love. But each one of us 
can identify with at least one character. Sometimes it's the older son, sometimes the younger son, sometimes the father, or maybe it's the pig farmer that hires the younger son when he realizes he's hit rock bottom, or maybe we're the servants that watch this whole episode unfold. But when we begin in groups to talk about this text from our perspectives, we all gain a new perspective on this text, a greater understanding that comes from being intentional about our development of faith. Intentional faith development, we come together, we also receive sort of a spiritual awakening, a spiritual awareness. We see nuances and new details that we never saw before of God maybe even working in our midst. Every year uh, around Christmas time, my family goes up to Glendale Springs to Tim Miller's Christmas tree farm. We've been doing this for 28 years, cutting down our family Christmas tree. And as you drive up the mountains, as you go up Highway 16, you see Christmas tree farms everywhere. And you look out in the field, I mean, they're beautiful. They're, they're green and they're neatly in rows. And for someone that's type A, you know that this is really right up my alley because it's perfect. But you think they're all Christmas trees. And they're all the same until you get into the lot, until you start to walk the land, walk the acreage, and you see that in there he's got Fraser firs and Canaan firs and Nordham firs and balsam trees and blue spruces and even a few pines. And you start to see the difference in the trees, but when we're standing way back from a distance, they all look the same. But when we come together, when we're walking that field and we look at the detail, we're very aware that they are different trees and there's a simplistic beauty in each and every one of them. Friends, when we come together in faith development, we start to talk about God working in our midst. We see the intricate details, the differences in each of us, but how God has been working in our lives. We become aware of God's presence in the world around us. We may even get a sense of awe that comes with it. But in coming together, there's also this sense of spiritual sustenance as well. One of the joys of being a church as large as ours is that we have more, we have ample opportunities to grow in faith, to do mission work, to have uh, wonderful worship services of multiple varieties, to be able to sing different types of music. We have all of this available to us. But it also provides us a chance of anonymity. We can come and slip in the back door, and because there's so many people here, we may not be noticed. But see, when we come together in intentional faith development, we come together in these smaller groups, we build a sense of community. And it's that community that sustains us, that guides us, that helps us see where we can grow in the Spirit. In the middle of that sense of smaller community, these smaller groups, whether Sunday school classes or Bible studies or whatnot, what happens there is we find grounding and encouragement. We find the grounding to keep from backsliding, but to continually seek God's will for our lives. We find the encouragement to keep God at the center of our lives. And somewhere in the midst of that, in that sense of community, we start to see glimpses of the kingdom of God. When something goes bump in the night of one of the members of our group and we're growing together, what do we do? We reach out in prayer. We cry, We offer shoulders for people to cry upon. We bring meals when they're suffering. See, these symbolic acts begin to show us what the other side is like, what the kingdom is about. 
So if we know that this is the goodness that can come, this is the joy that comes when we are together growing in our faith, being intentional about learning this, about God's grace, why do we hesitate? Why do we sort of pull back? Why do we think it's not for me? Oh, oh, that's too much church in a week. I think we do that because in some ways we're hesitant because we're afraid that our ignorance is going to be exposed. We don't think we know as much about the Bible as everyone else. Or maybe we think that we're too new at the faith. Or maybe we think our questions, that we ask too many questions of faith. The reality of it is this, folks. None of us know it all. That's the beauty of being in a community is that we grow together. When I was fresh out of seminary serving at church in Thomasville, you know, I had my, my MDiv degree, and everybody decided that I was the biblical giant. I am 25 years old. Yes, I know what they taught us in seminary, but I have 25 years of life experience, and some of the folks in my first Bible study had 75 years of life experience. I'll never forget one of those members, one of those 75-year-olds, she had worn Bibles out but was taking this Bible study because she said, I don't know enough. And then there's another woman who was just new to the church, and she says, I know nothing. I almost didn't sign up for it. And for those 36 weeks of that Disciple One Bible study class, that whole class, the three that I named and another nine others, we grew in our faith because we were willing to listen to each other to do those things I just talked about. Perspective, spiritual awareness, spiritual support. But I think sometimes our pride and our hubris makes us not participate because we're afraid that we're not going to have the answers. And that's the whole point of growing together. Or sometimes we don't want to participate because we say that I don't want to sign up for that class because I won't know anyone in there. I can remember as a youth minister in that first church, one of my parents came up to me. She said, I really want to get my kid to come to youth group, but he won't come because he doesn't know any of the other kids. You want to strike at the heart of a youth minister? Roll that line out on them. Go downstairs and ask Tammy if that just makes her heart ache every time someone says that to her. But let me tell you what the solution is. The solution to that answer, whether it's for children and youth or whether it's for you and me with Bible studies or small groups, is bring a friend that you know. Because if you bring someone to walk in the door with you, the two of you will benefit. But the group does as a whole, and pretty soon... You all have friends within that group. The final reason that we're hesitant sometimes is we say that we are too busy. Oftentimes I hear people say things to me, I'll run into them in the grocery store, and I'm, I'm not judging, so if you've said that to me, well, no, no one said it to me this week, so we're all off the hook. Oh, I need to get back to church more. Oh, I, yeah, I, need, to, I need to do Bible study. I, I need to do this. We all tell each other these stories. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to write more. I need to read more. I need to exercise more. We say these things. But the answer is this. If this is important to us, then we've got to make it first and make the commitment. Because of all the things that are fighting for our time, my friends, if you want to think of them like a pack of dogs, of all the things that are fighting for your time and my time, if the one that we feed is the one that's going to win, it's just plain and simple. So if we want 
growth in our faith, to know God more, to grow in our relationship, we want that to be the one that wins. We've got to feed it, and we've got to do that by giving it the time, by making the commitment. But here's the beauty of what happens. When we do those things, we build that sense of community that I'm talking about. We begin to overcome those excuses that we make up. We begin to shed our fears and push them to the side. And what happens is as we delve deeper into our faith and faith development, what happens is a transformation. It happens within you and with me and within our very lives. The first transformation is we begin to look at life and look at the text that we read and see the things that are happening around us. And we begin to look at it with three questions in mind. The first is, what is God reminding me of? What is God showing me, if you will? What is God inviting me to do? That's the second one. What is God reminding me of is first. Second is, what is God inviting me to do? And the third is, what is God challenging me to change in my life for the sake of the kingdom? And when we're living those questions, when we're beginning to see these things happening in the world around us that are bubbling those questions up, we are well on our way of intentional faith development. But the transformation continues because we become less consumers of church and more participants in our faith. We become active teachers of our faith, not only in our group, but in our homes to our children. I, well, Kate and Tammy and I spend a lot of time with parents who say, oh, we wish we could figure out how to teach our kids the faith more. Well, if we work on that as adults... We can teach the next generation's faith as just as easily as Sunday school. But the transformation continues even further. Not just consumers, not just active teachers of the faith, but we become committed to the work of our church. Not only the work of faith development, not only the work of hospitality, not only the work of passionate worship, but what we'll see next week is the work of generosity and the work of missions and service in the world around us and along the way what we will find is we will find a community that we can lean on when things go bump in the night and we will gain such a deep understanding of God's love for you and for me that it will be like a breath of fresh air the best air if you will that we've come out of the wood shop or the work shed or out of out of snorkeling or wherever you want to go where the air is tight and dense, we come out of that and we just breathe deep. Because the more time that we spend in intentional faith development, the more work that we do on our relationship with God, the more it fills our lungs and our spirits with the best air. My brothers and sisters, that's what God calls us to do. That's what God is hoping that you and I will do each and every week when we come to this place not only for worship, but for faith development, to nurture that relationship, to draw in the best air. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.